Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Prepare you for what God wants to do in your life. Because you might not know this, maybe you've grown up in church and never realized this, or maybe it's your first time at church, maybe you're here, you're not even a Christian, but I want you to know that God cares about your life. He, he cares because he knows you, and he knows you because he made you, and because he made you, he has a purpose for you, and his purpose for you isn't just for you, but it's his purpose being fulfilled through you. But before God can work a miracle in your life, we have to make room in our heart because we can't receive what we're not ready for. How many feel like I'm preaching to you and I haven't even started yet? Well, we started the first week by talking about digging ditches and really it's this idea of preparation. Then we had Pastor Danny last week talk to us about ridiculous expectation. Well, I wanna to continue to help us make room by talking to you today about determination. I think you're really going to love this story that we're going to look at. It's a lot of scripture, so I want to jump right in, and I'll break out the context as we go along. And if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, you can turn to Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to start. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. We'll put the words on the screen. And a lot of us use our phones, use our tablets. That's actually the primary way I read the Bible is I'm reading it through my phone, or a lot of times I read it on my computer when I'm studying. And you can use that. It's not sacrilegious. It's the words that are important. It's not whether they're on a physical page or not. So you can engage that way. I encourage you to do that. But in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please Come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. Verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him. And I want to use this for my subject today. I'm calling this message Miracle in Motion. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. If you're not a note taker, you might want to write that down. A miracle in Motion. And you might think, well, what is a miracle in motion? A miracle in motion, what that is, is it hasn't happened yet. But it is happening. It hasn't arrived yet, but it is on its way. And that's meaningful to me because when I think about our church, velocity, it's a miracle in motion. When I think about your life and what you need to know about your life is that it's a miracle in motion. And the thing about a miracle in motion is that you don't know it's a miracle when you're in the middle of it. We lots of times think that miracles arrive fully formed, like they just show up as a finished product. But what you're going to learn today is that there's a process to miracles. And in this story, which I love, I think you're going to enjoy it, you're going to see just how a miracle unfolds. And I believe God is going to use it to speak something fresh and life-changing to your heart today. I want to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. It's always my custom because I know I need God's help. And I have a feeling that you probably need God's help too. So would you just bow your head with me and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your word, for your truth. God, I thank you that you speak every time we open up your word. And 
God, I ask that you would use me today, that you would speak this word to people's hearts, that you know what they're facing, what they're dealing with, what their needs are. Only you can take one message and personalize and individualize it to each person here. And I believe that you'll do that, God. We thank you for it. Everybody who agrees with that can say, in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you would say you're claustrophobic? I don't mean like in the clinical sense. I just mean like you, you don't like to be constricted or confined. I, I, I would say I'm a little bit claustrophobic. That's why it's a little bit anxiety-inducing every time I put on my clothes. I just don't like to be <laughs> constricted and confined. You laughed a little too much at that. I'm going to be honest. It's kind of hurtful. Uh-huh. I just, one thing is I don't like to be crowded, and that's a problem when you're a parent, because let me tell you, the day that you become a parent, you give up all of your personal space. It happens on day one, and I've been a parent for 13 years now. It has not changed. I have four children, and they still like to crowd around me. We'll go to a restaurant sometimes, and the server will think that my family of six can fit into a booth of four. And all of my four children want to sit on my side of the booth. I'm not saying I'm the favorite parent. I'm just saying that they invade my personal space. And uh, it is really frustrating on a Sunday morning. Like I'm like, kids, get away from me. I don't want you messing up this outfit. You've got grape jelly on your face, cookie crumbs on your hands. Don't touch me. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, who touched me? Who touched me? Turning around. But I don't like to be crowded, and that's a problem because we live crowded lives. I'm not talking about crowded with people now. I'm talking our lives are crowded, crowded with information, crowded with advertisements, crowded with demands. We, we have crowded lives because we have crowded minds and crowded hearts. We, we've got crowded hearts because we've got crowded family drama. You know Thanksgiving's coming up, right? We're, we're crowded with relationship demands. We're crowded with work responsibilities. We're, we're crowded with to-do lists. And I'm not even talking about like all the things on your to-do list. We have crowded lives. I'm talking about all the things you have to get done just to get to the things you wrote down on your to-do list. Our lives are crowded, and that's a problem if you're like me and you don't like to be crowded. And I want to set this up for you because sometimes we think, man, if I could just get away from it all, like if I could just get some space, if I could just take a step back, catch my breath, be able to analyze what's going on in my life, maybe then I could fix what's wrong and move forward. We're crowded, and what's interesting is I notice about Jesus is that he was very comfortable in the crowds. I mean, have you ever thought, how did Jesus get it all done? <laughs> I mean, when you think about having a job to do, he had three years, that's really the span of his ministry that we pick up in the Gospels, 30 years old when he started his ministry, 33 when he was crucified on the cross. The Gospels are... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the books that just are eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. He had three years to accomplish the salvation of the world. No pressure. 
And lots of times we think that Jesus was just this roaming vagabond character, this loner. But what you notice if you study the life of Jesus is that every time he tried to get alone, there was always somebody at his door. There was always somebody at his heels needing something from him, wanting something from him. That's hard when you've got something important that you got to do. But Jesus, he, he was comfortable in the crowds. He, he was comfortable. And you see it right in this text because Matthew 5, 21, the first verse we read says, when Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So he hasn't even stepped out of the boat yet. And people are already waiting for him, already surrounding him because they want something from him. They need something from him. And so many of us, we live under this illusion that one day things are going to slow down. One day I'm going to get some space. One day I'll really be able to focus on my relationship with God. One day I'll be able to really prioritize what's important. Uh, one day I'll be able to do those things that matter to me. But the first thing I want to encourage you with today is that Jesus can connect with you in the crowd. Jesus can connect with you in the crowd. Jesus wants to connect with you in the crowd. He wants to connect with you in the crowded places of your life. What I like about this story is that despite the fact that Jesus was in a crowded situation, he's able to connect with a man who's in a place of desperation. Jairus He's in a desperate place. Now, Jairus, he's the guy we read about. Jairus is the synagogue leader. Jairus is important. He's a big deal. I mean, let's be honest. You know you're a big deal when Jesus is willing to make a house call for you. Jairus has got it going on. Jairus, he was a synagogue leader. That would be like the president of an organization today, right? He had a lot of responsibilities. He had people that he managed. He had a lot of details and events that he had to handle. But for all of his influence and all of his importance, none of that could help him in this situation. Jairus has a need. And it says that when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And i got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by Jesus' response. Because even though Jesus is comfortable in the crowd, he leaves the crowd behind to go help this one person. And that's surprising to me because if I'm in this story, whether I'm just reading it or maybe I'm in it and I'm like telling Jesus how to be effective in ministry, I'm not thinking that we should go help this person. I think the crowd is more important. I mean, you can have a bigger impact. We've got limited time to do this, Jesus. We've got three years, got a lot to get done. We've got to let as many people know about you as possible. And there's a crowd here. You want to leave the crowd to go help one person? It's going to be way more effective, way more impactful to stay with the crowd. I mean, I'm not even sure. I mean, is it really that serious? Parents can be dramatic sometimes. Is she really dying? I don't, you know, I don't know. It's really that important. 
But Jesus, he, he leaves the crowd behind to go help this one person. And, you know, sometimes what we see as a distraction is really God's direction. And sometimes what we think is an opportunity is really an obstacle to what God wants to do. Because Jesus leaves what looks like a great opportunity to meet a greater need. So he goes and he says, Jairus, I'll go with you, leaves the crowd behind to go help this man. And this is where things get kind of ridiculous because while he's in motion to work a miracle, he gets interrupted. Verse 24 says, he went with them and then a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, hey, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, I get confused when I get to this point because Mark is writing this story. He's recording actual events that happened in the life of Jesus and he's writing this down because he wants to tell us about Jairus' miracle. Jesus is on the way to work a miracle for Jairus. It's a miracle in motion. But while he's on the way, he's talking about this woman. It doesn't make any sense. What does this woman have to do with Jairus' story? She's not even the main character. I want to know about Jairus' daughter. And it doesn't make a lot of sense until you realize that these two people are connected. You, you know, all of us are connected. Like, none of us just get to live our lives in autonomy. Well, what I mean by that is, like, the decisions that you make, the way that you live, doesn't just affect you. It affects the people around you. It doesn't just affect the people around you that you know. Your decisions can impact people who you've never met. How many know this is really frustrating when the people you love don't understand this, right? It's like, hey, I'm good, I'm fine. You do you, like, I'll just take care of me, all right? Like, you do you, I'll do me. I'm a do me, all right? You do you, I'm a do me. And you're like, yeah, well, the way you doing you is affecting me, okay? So can we talk about that? Because we're all connected. And these two people are connected. Mark wants us to know that they're connected. Now, they don't seem connected on the surface. On the surface, these two people seem completely opposite. I mean, just on the surface, it seems like they have nothing in common. I mean, Jairus is a man. She's a woman. Jairus is important. This woman, not even important enough to be named. I mean, I, I, maybe it's like Jairus, we know who he is. This woman, maybe it's Hippolyte, something. We couldn't mention her name because of medical history, stuff like that. But <laughs> Jairus... Jairus, he's important. This woman's not important, at least in this culture. Jairus is respected. This woman, rejected. Jairus is known by his position. This woman's known by her condition. J Jairus, he's the ruler of the synagogue. This woman couldn't go near the synagogue. Jairus has to organize people. This woman has to avoid people. Jairus is wealthy. This woman is on welfare. Doesn't seem like they have very much in common. But Mark wants us to know they're connected 
because despite them being opposites, they both find themselves in the same posture and position at the feet of Jesus because life has hit them with something that they can't handle. And life will do that, by the way. Life will hit you with things that it doesn't matter who you are. Life has a way of equaling the playing field. Life will hit you with things that your money can't fix. Life will hit you with things that your position can't fix, that your influence can't fix, that your degrees can't fix, that your family can't fix, that your friends can't fix. Life will hit you with things that you can't handle. And if you've ever been hit with something that you don't know how to handle, what that means is that that thing is a job for Jesus. So these people who have nothing in common on the surface find themselves in the same place, having to push people out of the way to get an appointment with Jesus. That's what's going on in this text. Now, Jairus, he has reason to expect that Jesus can heal his daughter. doesn't know if he'll do it, but again, he's a synagogue leader. Jesus taught in the synagogue. They probably know each other. That's why he can go straight to Jesus head on, say, Jesus, I'm going to humble myself, put myself at your feet. I need you to help me. But he knows that Jesus can heal. Jesus has worked miracles. This woman, she has this crazy idea. This, this crazy idea that if I can touch his clothes, then maybe I'll be healed. It's worth pointing out to you, this has never been done before. All right? It's not like she heard that this happened. This hasn't been done. Where did she get this idea? Well, it might be worth pointing out that... Uh, in the culture of the day, lots of times the corner of the robe, corner of people's garments, was seen as a symbol of their status and stature and what they represent. There's a lot of scriptures I could show you this. In this part of the world during this time, like, you know, Ruth and Boaz, she said to Boaz, she, she said, hey, spread the corner of your garment over me, which means, hey, I want to be associated with you. You know, the Pharisees, they wore tassels on their robes because it was a symbol that, hey, we're somebody religious, we're somebody important, we know God, look at us. It was a symbol. So when she says, hey, maybe if I can touch, I, I, maybe I don't know if I can head, face him head on, but if I can come into contact with who he is, then maybe that'll heal me. I, I want to preach a sermon on this woman sometime, just this woman. I'm going to call it Fringe Benefits because... <laughs> <laughs> like she, she is an outsider, right? She's away from the crowd, had to avoid people. She's not the main character in the story. And she's like, man, if I can just touch the hem, then maybe I can be healed. But it's crazy. It's crazy. Like crazy, desperate people do crazy, desperate things. You, you got to be careful when you get around somebody crazy. Like you don't know, you don't know what they're going to do kind of puts you on the edge of your seat. Like, man, what is this person going to do? Because when you're in a desperate situation, you begin to do desperate things. And that's where this woman is. She's beginning to do some things a little different. She's in the crowd. She sees Jesus. She says, man, maybe if I can just, excuse me, can you make some room, please? 
Excuse me, pardon me. I'm trying to, I'm on the way to my miracle here. Excuse me. Can you make some room, please? Excuse me. This is so awkward, so uncomfortable. Excuse I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Pardon me. Make some room. Because see, desperation will cause you to push some things out of the way. And, and, and desperation pushes your priorities. Because for this woman, like she couldn't touch people. She had to avoid people, but her desperate situation now has caused her to push aside what she thought her priorities were. And now she's doing things a little bit different. Excuse me. Make some room, please. Make, make some room. I'm trying to get a miracle here. That's the good news about being desperate. If you find yourself in a desperate situation, you can be encouraged because God is using that to push your priorities into the right place. Push some things out of your life to bring you into his purpose for you. And so she's pushing some people out of the way. She's being pushed into God's purpose. And then watch what happens. She touches his robe. It says immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples got to love them. They said, you see the people crowding against you? And yet you ask, who touched me? Hey, he stops his disciples like, who did that? No, no, really, who, I, I want to know. And his disciples are like, you have got to be kidding me right now. You see the crowds. Everybody is touching you. It would be better to ask who didn't touch me because right now everybody is touching you. But he's like, no, I, I, I'm going to stop this whole thing. He's on his way with Jairus to work a miracle. Jesus shuts down the procession because he wants to know who touched him. <laughs> and he just, he waits. It looks, he says, he kept looking around to see who'd done it. Apparently, they didn't come forward right away. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, just like Jairus before, trembling with fear. You know, Jairus approached in faith. She approached in fear. Told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, which is interesting because before she's just called a woman and he's on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, but he calls her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now it's awesome that she got healed. That's great. But as awesome as her healing was, can we not forget the point of the story? We're trying to get Jairus' miracle here. And as great as her healing was, it's an interruption to Jairus' miracle. Have you ever had your miracle interrupted? Have you ever wanted God to do something in your life and felt like it was delayed? Felt like you had to wait? I don't know how it was, but I'm trying to picture this. Don't forget, Jairus was there first. I mean, come on, Jesus, this is not fair. Jairus asked first, go help Jairus. Jairus comes to Jesus, knows Jesus, their boys, 
sees Jesus in the synagogue, but he humbles himself and says, Jesus, I need you to do something. Jesus says, hey, I'll do it. Imagine how he must have felt. Man, the miracle's on the way. So he says they set out, but apparently the crowd is still there following Jesus, pressing around him. <laughs> have you ever been like, you know, you had to get somewhere, but there was a crowd of people in front of you? You know, like maybe you're at the airport or maybe in line at the amusement park, you're trying to cut in line. You're like, excuse me, hello, I got somebody up here. Excuse me, hello, uh, can you move please? Make what, I've got Jesus behind, we're trying to get to my house. And so Jesus is following behind him. He's, hey, excuse me, can you move please? Jesus, you still with me? Good, okay. Can you move, can, hey, can you get out of the way please? I'm trying to get my daughter healed. Jesus, you coming? All right, great. And he's on the way and the text implies while he's trying to get the crowd to move, he looks back, and there's something going on behind him. Jesus has stopped back here because a woman has touched him. So Jairus, he's back this way. Uh, can you move, please? I'm trying to get Jesus. He must have lost sight of me. And he gets there, and Jesus is just like, who touched me? Are you serious right now, Jesus? You remember you said you were going to come help my daughter, and you're waiting. He's just waiting. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to wait. We're just going to just Whoever touched me, just come forward. I'll, I'll wait as long as it takes. <laughs> After a period of time, we don't know how long, this woman comes forward. And she's, it was, it was me. I, I, I did it. And Jesus takes time to talk to her. It says that she came, said it was me. She told him the whole truth. One translation says she told him the whole story. Let me say that because I think you missed it. She told him the whole story. She <laughs> told him. Like, ladies, I love you, but guys, have you ever had to listen to the whole story? You had better get comfortable, take a seat, because this is going to take a while. She told him the whole story. And so Jairus, he gets back, and he's like, Jesus, come on. He's like, girl, I'm glad you're healed, but get out of here. I'm trying to get my daughter healed. Peter, can you say something to your boy? Tell him to hurry up. You're always opening your mouth. So, just waiting. And while he's waiting, look what happens. Jesus, he's speaking to her. And he says, he says, uh, while he was speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, they showed up. They said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now imagine this. Jesus is here. He's talking to the woman. And while he's speaking, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. At the same time, somebody's saying to Jairus, he's right here, Jairus, your daughter is dead. See, now I'm just mad. This is supposed to be Jairus' story. 
Jairus is the one we're following here. Jairus is the one who came to Jesus first. And I mean, Jesus, the audacity, are you just trying to like troll Jairus right now, calling her daughter, while at the very same moment, his daughter is dead? You know, it's one thing to have to wait for your miracle, but it's another thing when you see somebody else getting their miracle while you're waiting. And this is the way most of us feel because while Jesus is helping her, this other girl is dying. And I don't know if you feel that way, but sometimes it's like, I don't know how to do it all because while I'm, while I'm trying to handle this, something else is suffering. While I'm trying to bring this to life, this thing is dying. I'm trying to take care of business at work, trying to provide for our family, but while I'm doing that, I'm not taking care of your emotional needs. And, and while I'm trying to be available to you, I'm not being available to someone else. I, just, I don't know how to keep everything alive at once. So what do you do? And my problem with this story is that, like, in the business world, they, they tell you, well, you just got to know the difference between what's urgent and what's important. If you know the difference between what's urgent and what's important, then you can be effective. But when I look at this story, that might be great business advice, but that doesn't do anything in this story. Because who's more important, Jairus or the woman? Jairus. Okay, well, which is more urgent, a little girl who's dying or a woman who's had the same issue for 12 years? The daughter, the little girl. So Jesus doesn't do what's urgent, and he doesn't do what's important. So what are you supposed to do with this? And I think that's what Jairus must have felt. What am I supposed to do with this? Because what I was hoping for is history. Now my worst fears have become my reality. And now my daughter is dead. My miracle was in motion, but now my daughter's dead. I love what Jesus said because when he overheard what the servant said to Jairus, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And this is a powerful truth that you and I need to remember because when your fear becomes your reality, you need to let your faith become your response. I want you to understand what's happening here because within this story, at the heart of it is this question of is your confidence in God's plan or your priorities. Think about what's going on here. Jairus, he has some priorities and it seems like he's got his priorities in the right place. He's got a need, he comes to Jesus. Jesus says, yes, I'll go. So Jairus, he's working through the crowd, telling people to move, come on Jesus, come on, let's go. 
telling people to get out of the way. Something happens in the middle of his miracle. He goes back. He's hit with some news he didn't think he'd have to face. And this, this word hits him in a deep place. He was on the way, and now he's shook. But now he's, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. And while he's standing there, numb, looking down at the ground, Jesus says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Come on. Let's go. Just believe. Come on, Jairus, let's go. That's the thing about disappointment is it'll put your priorities in the right place because you were never supposed to be leading Jesus. Jesus is supposed to be leading you. And now that Jairus has his priorities in the right place, well, now he's ready for Jesus to work a miracle. So I got to hurry this up, but Jesus says, all right, let's go. Come on, Jairus, let's go. And says in the next verse that he didn't let anybody follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, because there comes a point in your life where you got to leave the crowd behind. You got to make sure you got the right people in your life and not everybody who's around you is supposed to go with you. And they come to the home of the synagogue leader, and Jesus sees a bunch of commotion. There's people crying. There's people wailing. And he went in. He said to them, hey, what's the deal with all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. So he put them all out. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Mark throws in a little detail. She was 12 years old. Same amount of time this woman had been suffering. And this, they were completely astonished. I don't have time to unpack all of this like I want, but here's the deal. Jesus gets there, and there's all these people around. They're wailing. They're crying. They're mourning. And Jesus says, hey, Stop the crying, stop the mourning. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. Now this, this switch from crying to laughing, from mourning to mocking, and it might be worth knowing that in this culture, you would hire professional mourners to comfort the family, to comfort those who are grieving. That's how I know that these people are hired because you don't switch from crying to laughing if you're really grieving. If you're really grieving, you don't do that. And Jesus says, hey, I'm here to heal this girl. I'm here to help her out. I'm here to raise her up. But before I can engage with her, I have to evict you. And here's why. Because there are some things that you have brought close to comfort you that are not serving God's purpose. And this is the entire point of my message. That before things can get up, some things have to first get out. Before God can work a miracle in your life, there are some things that you have to get out. That you have to tell it is time for you to leave. That you have to evict 
there are some things that you have brought close into your life. You have brought them close for comfort, but they are not serving God's purpose. Maybe it could be a pattern of thinking. Maybe it could be a habit. Maybe it could be some peers. I don't know what it is, but there's some things that you're looking for. You've brought close to comfort you, and God is wanting to work a miracle in your life, but he can't do it as long as those things are in your life. You've got to tell some things to get out. You've got to tell some things you're not welcome here. You've got to make some room for God to work a miracle. And I believe God brought you here so that you could do an environment check. So that the Holy Spirit could speak to you about the things that are in your life that don't need to be there. 